0: God's just been stirring something in my spirit about uh, the message i want to share today. And uh, it's kind of today and next week, I want to put these things together because I believe God's got uh, a message for us as Connect Church in the midst of the trials that we're going through to, um, to challenge us, to shape us, to, to, to really mold us and make us into what God's called us to be so that we can make a difference. Uh, and you know, if you, if you come to Connect Church, uh, we are about wanting to make a difference in our world, we don't want to just get through this world. We want to make a difference in this world. And and so, look, we are so glad that you're here today. I want to give a shout out to uh, Pastor uh, John and Adrian Hernandez. It's their anniversary week this week. We love you guys. Happy anniversary, um, man. We're so we love you guys. We're so so proud to have you as part of this team. So many people have uh, been changed because you continue to give. Um, and we just want to honor you in the midst of all this um and uh, just oh for some people by the way who are wondering danielle's not sick she she's just have corona right we, she just, we're just giving her a, a couple of days off to to enjoy um but uh but look i want to take a moment just to welcome all of our guests if you are a guest here um no matter how you got here whether uh it's you just kind of found us online whether you uh what you came through a, a a Facebook post that was shared, or a friend invited you. Maybe you're part of our TKC uh, outreach, Thy Kingdom Chrome that we do in partnership with Carson Wentz and A One Foundation. Uh, maybe you, you came in contact with the church that way. It doesn't matter how you came. We are so glad you are here, and we, look, we want to do life with you as much as we can, given the circumstances that we're in. But we really do. And so um, look, there, there's a, there's a link there. That's it's it's a Linktree uh, link. Uh, I know uh, it, we just found out it was uh, under maintenance, but we're, we're, we're going to put it up there for you. Just reach out. Uh, take, take a look. If, if that's not working, go to the website, uh, theconnectchurch.com. Let us know uh, what God's doing in your life. We want to hear your story um, because God, your story matters. You are so important to Jesus that he died for you um, so that you could live with him. And so we want to live with you uh, as best we can as well. So, so good to have you. Thanks for being here today. Um, uh, just wanna uh, at that Linktree app, you can find out information about uh, Forged, which is our men's Bible study, which has been going good. Men have been doing, oh yeah, men. Men, men, ho, ho, ho. Look, if you've missed Forged, uh, there's so many guys who, uh, I know life's crazy right now, but the beautiful thing about Forged is that uh, uh, it's, it's a video teaching that then you can get together with your group of guys during the week at whenever that fits for you. And um, it's just all about learning the Word of God and learning how to become a man of God. Uh, And so you can, you you don't have to start in the beginning, you can hop in at any time. So uh, check that out. I know ladies, shoulder to shoulder, started a few weeks ago and they are rocking and rolling. It'll be tonight at 7 o'clock as well. Um, We want to get the Word of God into you. There's nothing more important right now than to making sure we base our life not on our own opinions or someone else's opinion, but on the Word of God. And uh, the only way to do that is actually to study the Word of God to show ourselves approved. So check out Linktree, check out the website, um, and get connected. Get connected. Uh, you know, a, fruit, a, a tree only bears fruit as long as it stays connected to good soil. Uh, and that's, that, that's your life right now. You know, before we hop into the message, though, I wanted to take a moment because uh, I, I think rarely, if ever, in our nation, has our uh, political leaders um, been in more jeopardy within the this, this sickness that obviously our president um, has right now uh, it, with the coronavirus, um, and then so many of the uh, leading senators and uh, staff and support people around them. Um, and let me just say this, it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you sit, sit on or stand on, Many of you know, I'm, I, I just, I, we never talk about politics because that is not who we are. Um, but, the, but the word of God does tell us to pray for our leaders. And this is one of those moments where it doesn't really matter how we feel, uh, maybe about uh, those people who have the virus. Um, you know, uh, 1 Timothy 2.1 says, First of all, with prayers and supplications, Pray for those kings. Pray for your governing uh, leaders. Pray for their welfare so that it may go well with us as well. So I just want to take a moment um, to pray for our leaders, uh, for everyone um, who is sick right now, for everyone who may be sick on both sides of the aisle because we don't know uh, who was exposed or who is exposed. But uh, I don't need to know. What I do need to know is what the Word of God tells me how to respond in these moments and how I respond is man I'm just going to pray that God's will is done and pray for for health and breakthrough for our nation and that through this compassion may come from the top down understanding may come from the top down love may flow from the top down that a miracle that is experienced may actually become a miracle that is given so can we can we can we just pray together uh, just pray Let's just say, Father, I love you. Daddy, thank you for this time to be together, Lord. I thank you for your word that, that guides us during these times of uncertainty and times even when our emotions uh, would be at odds with certain desires that come from your kingdom. So today we submit ourselves to you we 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 follow this word we pray for our president we pray for our vice president we pray for all the senators for those staff for those uh in in political office local lord god state and uh and national government who are going through or who may be going through sickness in the name of jesus i pray for supernatural healing i pray for protection i pray for your peace that passes all understanding to be in their life to be upon their families' lives as their families navigate this as well, to be upon this nation. I pray, Lord God, that as you move in a powerful way uh, from from the leaders down, that the miracles that you start to stir, the compassion you begin to show, the mercy and grace that you begin to pour out may not only be received, but that those men, those women may become a vessel of grace and compassion that flow out downward throughout our country, that once again love would triumph, Lord God, That once again, the king and the kingdom would be elevated above policy, would be elevated above party, would be elevated above preference. And we would bow down before you, before who you are. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in these moments. Daddy, we have no one else to turn to, and we should have never turned to anyone other than you. So come, Holy Spirit, come. Do what only you can do. Make a way. Make rivers in the desert. My God, I speak this over our nation right now. Make rivers in the desert, Lord God. Make rivers in the desert right now. Let the latter rain begin to pour. And let the Spirit of God be released on the people of our country. In a way that the dry bones will live again. That the dry bones will live again that life will come from the dust. We give you the glory and the honor, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, thanks for praying with me. I believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of prayer here in this country. I'm crying right now. uh, I, I, I so desperately want revival in our land. I so desperately want the hate and the hurt, the pain that so many are feeling today, feeling in this year, feeling in their lifetime in this country to be healed by the bomb of Jesus Christ. Not by religion, not by a better moral people, not by kinder people, although being kind is great, but by the compassion and love that grace gives, that pours forth from the throne of our God. May we be that conduit to our world. Well, look, if you brought your Bible I've got something stirring inside of me. I think you probably can tell already this morning, but uh, if you brought your Bible, can you turn with me uh, to Acts chapter 22, Acts 22? We're going to look at uh, it, it's Part of this starts in the end of Acts 21, and it goes into Acts 23 and into 24, and over the next two weeks, we're going to kind of look at some of this uh, as a whole, um, but I, I love this text because it's the beginning of this text. It's 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 the story of wow, how Paul finally ends up in Jerusalem, and he goes to the house of God to worship, and they start like they, they mug him. They they start to abuse him. They they start to beat him, um, and uh, and and then the, the the Roman guards come out and they arrest him, which is an interesting story. Um, and this is the the trial that he's kind of going through in the midst of this. And and I entitled this. Uh, This message, uh, the pop quiz dilemma, the pop quiz dilemma, because even though this is what's funny, even though the Holy Spirit's been telling uh, Paul that he, if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to get arrested, right? Um, And stand trial. He goes to, to, to worship and out of the blue. And suddenly this mob, this breaks out, this, this trial breaks out. And, uh, and and many of us have kind of had those moments where God has said things um, to us and it's kind of been months or maybe even years and then boom, suddenly, then suddenly. It's a suddenly moment. It's a pop quiz moment. And how we handle those pop quizzes matter. Do you remember when you were in, 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 in school, maybe in grade school, in high school, and uh, you'd come into class and the teacher would be like, oh, we're having a pop quiz today? Dude, and you would freak out right? And Danielle and I still talk about this because one of our greatest nightmares still today is uh, a teacher giving a pop quiz. Like literally we still have this conversation because we handle those things. there. We were very different students. Danielle was a group studier, right? I was a crammer. Like just give me a couple hours beforehand with some notes, but she would study. So, so when the quiz came, but it doesn't matter how you are a learner. When the pop quiz came, man, you stressed out because you realized how you did on these exams, how you did on these pop quizzes, actually affected your final grade here's what I need us to know that how we handle these suddenly moments these suddenly trials these things that God has been warning us about but we kind of knew were coming but didn't understand that it was coming now how we handle them affects things Paul is going to show us that in the midst of trials we are faced with certain temptations and how we handle those temptations will influence our own lives, influence how we live, influence uh, how, how our health, our, our joy, our sense of peace. It'll influence others, how others see God, how others understand Jesus, how others are released or remain oppressed, how we handle these temptations. It'll influence our futures. Not only our future, but future generations. Before we started today, I was praying that the words of God today would, would set free and release things in future generations. Uh, we were praying for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, for generations that are coming, because the words that are sown today can produce a future beyond you. Because what we sow, we will reap. That is a future that gets lived out and gets and, and gets released. So how we handle the pop quizzes, the trials, the temptations that come in those quizzes man, it matters because it can release or oppress. It can elevate or, or, or shrink not only our lives, others' lives, but our future and future generations. So let's look at this together because I believe, I believe that God is calling us as a people, as a church, to handle trials differently and, and to recognize when we're in the trial, man, we are not the tail. We're the, we're the head. We are not the conquered. We are more than conquerors in Jesus, but if we don't respond correctly, then there's so many times that we can be conquered by issues that we were meant to conquer. Let's look at this together. Acts 22, verse 1. So Paul is in the, uh, in, in the uh, um, temple. He gets arrested. Um, he, he's getting mugged. Uh, the, the, the guard brings him back out so that he can address the crowd. And verse 1 says this, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense I make before you now. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. We're going to talk about that in a second. But what the next almost 20 verses do is that from this point, he begins to talk about his encounter with Jesus, his encounter with Jesus. My friends, what I love about Paul is that Paul keeps his encounter with Jesus as the central part of his story. Everything else revolves around this one thing, my encounter with Jesus Christ. My friends, I'm here to tell you, the truth is when we're going through a trial, when we're going through uh, difficult times, one of the first temptations that you and I are gonna face is is a temptation to question our encounter with Jesus. I mean, was that encounter really real? Was I just kind of emotional? I mean, it was when I was young or I was going through something and did God really say? Did God really mean? I mean where God where God Where are you God in the midst of this? When we go through a trial, one of the very first things that we will be tempted with is to question our encounter with Jesus. Isn't that what the, the enemy did from the very beginning with Adam and Eve? The first thing he did is get them to question, did God really say? Question your encounter with God. That's why it is so key, it is so essential that you and I continue to keep our daily encounters with Jesus central to our life. We can't let other things get in the way of our daily encounters with Jesus. Why? Because, man, and we'll get in that trial, and that trial will begin to test, tempt us to begin to question whether those encounters were real, whether the Word was real, whether God really said what he said, whether God will do what he really will do. Paul says, I'm going to keep my encounter with Jesus, the central part of my story. It is the linchpin that holds everything together. It is the cog in the middle of of the wheel. Man, where are you today in your daily uh, daily encounters with Jesus? Are they being reinforced? Is who Jesus is, the revelation of Jesus Christ, being daily reinforced? Is this word being daily reinforced? Because if it is being <laughs> daily reinforced, Paul says, I've been concreted to stand fast in the Lord. He says in, in, in Philippians 4, man, be stand fast in the Lord. Be concreted in your relationship with God, and it doesn't matter what else happens. That's why I love what the psalmist writes in Psalm 103, verse 2. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Sometimes when we're going through the trial, the first thing we've got to do is tell our soul not to forget who God is, not to forget who God says he is, not to forget our encounter with him. And the more daily encounters we have, the easier it will be in the midst of the trial for that question to be answered positively in Jesus. Come on, look at verse 21. He says he's talking all about this. We're going somewhere. He's talking all about his encounter with Jesus. They're quiet. They're listening. They've got no problems. Then verse 21 says, then Jesus said, the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listening to Paul and listen to Paul until, until he said this, then they raised their voices and shouted at him, "'Rid the earth of this man! He's not fit to live!' As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander that ordered, uh, uh, ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why these people were shouting at him like this. And they stretched him out to, to flog him, and Paul said to the centurion standing there, "'Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't been found guilty?' We're going, to, we're going to stop there. It's hard for me in the world, in the climate of the world today, not to hear this text differently. Not to wrestle with this text differently. Because I think before I would have just kind of gone down to the, yeah, but he's pressing. Look, he's, he's awesome. He's so smart. He pressed, his, he pressed his right as a Roman citizen. Man, we've got rights as citizens. You better press them. But, but did, you hear the, did you hear the beginning of this? He's done nothing wrong. He came to worship God. He was giving a testimony of who Jesus was. They start to freak out because he talks about blessing other people, which we'll get to. So the Centurion, the Centurion takes him, arrests him, they're going to flog him to find out why the other people are abusing him. What? That's crazy. That's injustice. That's crazy, and that's injustice. And what we're going to see, my friends, is that in the midst of trials, just or unjust, suddenly or spoken about in advance, there are temptations that you and I are going to have to face, and how we handle them will determine whether we overcome them or we become broken by them. We get our breakthrough or we're broken by them. I think one of the first things I really want to encourage us with is what we can see in Paul is that the, the, when he was started this trial, he underwent the temptation of using the wrong language. When you and I face a trial, we face the temptation of facing it with the wrong language. I'm not, I'm not talking about swearing or cursing, dropping a few bombs out there. Although, let me just say this. Come on, somebody. I think we give ourselves too much leeway sometimes because the Bible does talk about a purity of speech. Just throwing that out there. Come on. But, but, but I, I, Paul's first decision when he faced this trial, I don't want us to move past this, was what language he was going to use. What language he was going to use to address it. Just like he needed to decide what language he was going to use to speak into that trial, you and I have to decide what language we're going to speak into uh, when, when, when our trial comes for us. Now, I want us to note something here. The truth is that he doesn't use the language of his culture. The language of his culture is Greek. The Roman world spoke Greek. He was a child, a citizen of the Roman world. They spoke Greek. The Arab world spoke Aramaic. The Bible says he spoke Hebrew. Why? Because he spoke to them in Hebrew. Why? Because Hebrew was not the language of his culture. Hebrew was the language of his birth. It was his birth language. uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 5 says, he says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. That Greek context means I am a Hebrew of Hebrew speaking parents. Hebrew was his birth language. Let me ask you a question what's the language of your birth? I'm not asking you, I'm not saying, I'm not not asking you if it's English or Spanish or Korean. Those are the language of your culture. I'm asking you what is the language of your birth? See, the language of our birth as children of God is faith. Faith is the language of our birth, our rebirth. That faith speaks. Faith has a language. Faith has a voice to it. John 3, 3, Jesus says, unless you are born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. But the moment I become born again, I am saved by faith. Come on, into faith. I'm saved by faith, into faith. Faith actually has a voice. It has a language. My natural voice that I should be speaking into trials, the birth language, the language of my birth, my rebirth, is not the language of my culture. It is the language of faith. Faith is what needs to be spoken into these moments of trial that you and I are facing into our life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, he said, man, when you're facing a trial, that seems impossible. All you need is a little bit of faith. And if you have faith, you will say to the mountain. You will speak the language of faith to that mountain. And the mountain will be moved because anything, nothing will be impossible for you because you're speaking the language of faith of your birth. I think the issue is when we're faced with, uh, uh, with trials that kind of uh, take things out of our control, we tend to try to take back control by using the language of our nature rather than the language of our birth. Now, stay with me for a second. You and I have a language that comes from our nature and a lot of times we are tempted to use that because that is our attempt to take back control when we seem to lose control. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, he said, look, you can tell a tree by the fruit that it bears. In verse 24, he goes on to say, because that truth f- uh, from that tree out of the abundance of that tree's heart, out of the abundance of someone's heart, a mouth will speak. You and I are going to produce fruit in our lives that come from the fruit from the language that we speak in the midst of these trials. So what comes out of our mouth in the midst of these trials, in the face of trials, is really a litmus test to the language that we are most connected to in our heart. What comes out of our mouth when we read those posts, when we face the circumstance, when we get the doctor's report, when we get the unemployment notice, when we get the the, the breakup text, I'm not saying that there's not disappointment, but what comes out of our mouth in the midst of trial is a litmus test to what language our heart is most connected to in our lives. Uh, Yesterday I was watching um, uh, Tennessee football, uh, because some of you may know, I played uh, there a few years, and every time they score, they play Rocky Top. And uh, I I, I gotta let you know, I I cannot sing Rocky Top, come on somebody, without a southern accent. I can't, it doesn't matter, because that's how I learned it. Like, it's what's in my heart, come on. Rocky Top, you'll always be what? Home, sweet home to me, good old Rocky Top, woo! Oh, I'm sorry, I I just lost people. But that's what's in me, right? That's what's in me, that's what my heart's connected to. It just comes out. When I hear that music, it comes out, do you realize that we have been trained to speak language of our nature when we are faced with trials that make us uncomfortable? There's music that plays around us, and we respond from the nature, from the language that is most comfortable inside, connected to our hearts. Jesus is having this moment with the Pharisees in Luke chapter 8, in John chapter 8, verse 44, and they're being convicted by who he is and who he says he is and they're just, they, they are not, they're not having it, they're not having it. And Jesus says this, you are connected. Your father is the devil. By the way, that's not a comment. Your father is the devil, and he is the father of lies. He, his native language is lying, and you are dependent on him. The nature that you have inside of you, this fallen nature is a nature of manipulation. The language of lying, the language of our nature, is the language of manipulation. Isn't that what a lie is? A lie is our best attempt to manipulate the circumstance for our benefit. That's why we lie. We're trying to manipulate the circumstance for our benefit. When we lie, we're speaking our native tongue. When we speak a language based on self-reliance, self-protection, We are speaking our natural language, not our supernatural birth language, our natural fallen language into the world. And when we do these things, when we try to manipulate our world, it is our best attempt at being the creator himself. Because the creator, the creator, stay with me, the creator used truth to create the world that he saw, that he wanted it to be. The creator used truth to create the world he wanted. That's what we see in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. It says, in Jesus, by Jesus, in Jesus, for Jesus, the whole world was created. God used truth to create a world that he wanted. But there's a difference, my friends, between trying to use our truth and trying to use the truth to create manipulation is using our truth to try to create the situation that we think, the outcome that we think is best for our lives and for our benefit in that trial. Whatever situation, how can I actually make it work for my benefit? That is using the natural language of our world. The problem is that we will only get a fallen result because what. The fallen nature creates is a fallen world around us. Fallen relationships, fallen hopes, fallen dreams, fallen world. Because like creates like. But when we actually stand in faith, faith is actually based on the truth. Faith, The language of faith is centered on Jesus' words. Centered on Jesus' faithfulness. Centered on Jesus' authority. Centered in Jesus' will. Centered in Jesus' wisdom centered in Jesus's grace, centered in Jesus's mercy, centered in the way Jesus sees the world, sees my life, sees the fingerprint he has on me, for me, and once uh, through me into the world around me. So uh, faith is, is the ability not to actually try to use my truth to create the circumstance, but God's truth, who God is and let God's authority and God's faithfulness and God's holiness and God's authority move in the midst of my trials. See, just like Paul, when we speak our birth language, it will quiet the voices of the enemy in the midst of the trial. Did you get that? He said when he started to speak his birth language, they all quieted down. I wonder how much more the voices in our head would be quieted if we would speak our birth language to them. I wonder how much more quieted the voices of fear, disappointment, disillusionment, sickness would be if we would speak our birth language to them. You know, so many people are having babies in our in our church. And I was thinking the other day about when Jake was little, when he was a baby. And you remember, if you have if you have kids, you remember when they're little, you try to get them to speak, right? So I'd be with them and I'd be like, say dada. Say daddy. Come on. Say dada, right? Say cookie. And do you remember how excited you were when, when, when they first started to, to speak those things back? You're like, yes, he can speak. It's awesome. But what's so funny about that is that we have to realize that he wasn't creating a word and speaking it. He was feeding back the word that his father had placed inside of him. I placed that word inside of him. He didn't know what a cookie was until I told him what a cookie was. And when he began to feed back the language that the father, his father had put in him, it reshaped the way that he saw things. It reshaped the way that he saw the world. It reshaped the way he wanted to interact with things. Because when I said no... And then he understood that that was a no. It shaped him. When I said yes, that it shaped the way he saw it. When I said cookie, he began to identify something differently. When we allow the language of our father to begin to be fed back out of us and through us, it will help us see the world differently, respond to the world differently. Man, how, how did Adam know how to speak? God put his language inside of him. And Adam walked in power when he was walking with the language of the father. It wasn't until the enemy introduced another language to him that he became powerless. Man, man, can I just say the enemy has a different language for us? Uh, 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 um, uh, 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 Our culture has a different language for us. Pain wants to introduce a different language to us politics want to introduce a different language to us. Our nationality wants to uh, introduce a different language to us. Come on. Uh, Social media wants to introduce a uh, a different language to us. No, no, no. I need to make sure that I actually feed back the language that the Father has placed inside of me so that I am not powerless and remain broken in the midst of a trial. Proverbs 18.21 says, The mouth, with the mouth, the mouth has the power of life and death in it. He who love it will eat of its fruit. My friends, are we, when we're facing our trials internally or externally, in our families or in our jobs, in our marketplace, in our culture, in our world, uh, what language are we using? And these, these, these are real questions. What language are we using? Because one brings with it hope. The other actually removes hope. One restores peace, even if the circumstance isn't restored. One will always lead to fear because what we can't control, we're afraid of. When we don't understand how loved we are, we will always fall back into fear rather than walking it out into faith. These are the trials that we face, uh, the temptations we face in the midst of a trial. Paul said, man, I'm gonna go back to my birth language. I'm gonna speak my birth language. I think, I think in the midst of our trials, just like Paul did, does, sometimes we are challenged, and very often we're challenged because of the, the trials hitting us so hard, we're tempted to lose our conviction about others. I'm seeing this all over the world today, all over the world, that in the midst of trials that are hitting us, we begin to lose our conviction about others. And, and, and it may be natural in the world. It may be natural in the world, but it's not natural in the kingdom. We, we are not called to be like culture. We are called to be counterculture. And so we have to make sure that we don't lose our sense of life beyond ourselves, beyond our pain, beyond our, our, our limitation in this moment. We've got to make sure because the supernatural, because compassion, because the challenge to love others changes not only them, but it changes us. When we serve others, man, it doesn't just release something in them, it releases something in us. When we when we are worshiping God by, by, by giving to others, man, it, it doesn't just uh, change others, it, it changes us. Did you see, by the way, in this text, that they were all good with Paul while he was teaching about, uh, while he was talking, even when he was just talking about his encounter with Jesus, they were all good. They were like, oh, it's good, man. Whatever happened to you happened to you, Paul. That's great. Until, did you see this? Until he gets to the point where he says, God has called me to go to others that were not them. And they lost their minds. Paul says, man, I had this encounter with Jesus. Man, I was on the road to Damascus. He spoke to me. Others were around. It was really cool. It was awesome. They're like, hey, yeah, they're all quiet. Everything's good. He stands up. Verse 21 says, and then God said to me, It's time to go to people who aren't like you. And they lost their minds. See, my friends, the Pharisee spirit always rages when others become a priority. The Pharisee spirit will always rage when others become a priority. I think that's why maybe if our first response, if we're really going to be introspective today, if our first response Is to be upset when others, other cultures, other nationalities, other people, people that you deem less than or undeserving, get mentioned. If our first is disappointment, outrage, if it's uh, justification for why we feel we are, maybe, maybe we need to check what spirit is actually influencing our lives. See, the reality is when we go through trials that are difficult, it's easy to get self-absorbed. I get it, man, I get self-absorbed a lot. I have to fight against it a lot because trials cause things to be myopic, right? I mean, they're they're, they're a magnifier. Pain is a magnifier, magnifies things. Disappointment is a magnifier. Pressure is a magnifier. I, I like to get massages, man. If you ever get a massage, you understand what I'm talking about. Because you think you're fine until you get on the massage table and this other person starts pushing in certain places. Then you like jump through the roof because you didn't even know that there was pain there. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing about our life. This is why others is so important for us. Man, if, if you think when we talk about others, it's just about them. It is about them, but it's also there's things in us. There are things that we have learned to live with in our life that, 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 until others get involved. There are things, there are pains, there's ideas, there's stuff, just like the masseuse, there's things I've learned to live with in my life uh, that, that, that I'm okay with until others get involved. And the moment those others start to push on me, push on that spot that I was okay with, that I didn't think that there was pain, man, and I jump through the roof, I start to begin to say, masseuse, back up off me, you better stop pushing in that area. I don't like the pain I'm feeling right now. I don't like discomfort. I was fine just the way that I was. Stop pushing in that area. But if anyone knows anything about the body, man, the reason that there's pain when there's pushed when when the masseuse pushes there is because there's something of unhealth. There's an injury. There's usually an injury underneath the surface of the skin that cannot be seen by the naked eye, but when the pressure is applied, come on, the thing that is sick in us, responds. That's why we need this. And it's only through the pressure at times that the things that are actually broken inside of us, unhealthy inside of us, that, 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 that are causing uh, pain that we're learning to live with inside of us get fixed. And I get it because the issue, I think, with others is that when we talk about others, uh, when others start to get a priority in life or in the way that we talk about things, it, it, others challenge our sense of exclusivity. They, ex, they challenge our sense of identity. They challenge our sense of priority, of man being first, of, of making sure that we get ours, to making sure who, who really are we. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we tend in the natural, we tend to be okay as long as others are coming into our world to be like us. When the prevailing identity is ours, when the priority for right standing is us first, and then them being included, we're okay with that. That's when we're okay with others. But my friends, that's the Pharisee spirit. That's not the kingdom. It's not the kingdom. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life away for others. What we see, we see that kind of spirit in the life of Jonah. Jonah, this prophet who has a calling and a power and a, an anointing from God who has supernatural gifting. And God says to him, get up, Jonah, go to Nineveh, I preach to them, bring them the word. I, I want to see that, that, that country restored. I want to see him changed. And Jonah says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going there. Uh, They're undeserving. Uh, I don't think this is right. Uh, I'm going to protect myself. Are you crazy, God? I'm not going there. I don't think they deserve it. They're not like me. I'm not doing it. I'm going to protect myself. Do you know what what he decides to do in in, in Jonah, uh, Jonah 1 verse 3? It says he decides to go to Tarshish by the way of Joppa. How many know that was a bad idea? We know the story, right? He, he gets in a boat and they uh, they they go through so much storms they throw him overboard and, and he gets swallowed by a big fish. Not not a good day. But but before that, in verse 3, it says he was going to go to Tarsus by the way of Joppa. Here's the deal: Joppa means uh, seems right. Tarsus means she will shatter. So what seemed right to him to self-protect what seemed right to him with his view on others. What had seemed right to him when it came to those he thought was undeserving was going to bring him into shattering, was actually going to bring him into poverty, bring him into pain, bring him into loss. He thought he was protecting himself and he was actually diminishing himself. See, my friends, when self becomes our priority, our lives become diminished and other people stay oppressed. Our lives do not become bigger when we consider others less than. Our lives become smaller and other people stay oppressed. Come on, let's let's be honest. Paul, in this moment, given the crowd that he was in, he could have been dissuaded. He could have protected himself, right? But Paul said God's mission for him was to go to others first. I'm going to go to others. Here's the truth. The truth is that the enemy will use every trial in our life to try to marginalize our kingdom call. The enemy will use, that's what, this, that's what was going on here. The enemy in that crowd was using that trial to try to marginalize Paul's calling, to, bring it be, to shrink it down from being the rest of the world to just being a small portion of the world, to try to get him to shrink rather than grow. But my friends, I'm a firm believer that God tends to use trials not to shrink us, but to expand us. The more air that you blow into a balloon, come on somebody, the bigger that it gets. The more pressure you place inside, the more area it covers on the outside. That's what happens in our life. When God, when we trust God in the midst of these trials, man, he begins to to blow his breath, his spirit inside of us. He's not calling us to shrink us. He's going to cause us to expand. Yup, there's going to be stretching. Yup, there's going to be purging. Yup, there's going to be some discomfort. But he's there to expand it. Here's what I know. When our personal pain outweighs our conviction to our call, we will always give in to self. When our personal pain outweighs our kingdom call, our conviction to it, we'll give in to self. When the trial of time comes, we lose our conviction about others. When our trial of finance comes, we tend to lose our conviction about others. When the trial of culture comes, we tend to lose our conviction of others. I know during a very painful time in my life, in the midst of ministry, I was ready to hang it up, walk away. Because the pain, what I was going through in that moment outweighed my conviction to my kingdom call. I thank God that he let me have a moment, but that moment didn't become the movie of my life. That that didn't become the prevailing voice, the driving force. Just like Paul, I had to be reminded that others is a core principle of the kingdom of God. Others is not a good idea. Others is the core principle to the kingdom of God itself. Jesus is in Capernaum in Luke chapter four, and they are begging him to stay. And in verse 43, he says, I can't stay. The purpose I've been sent is to take this to other cities. Others becomes a priority. I know, I appreciate that you love it. I appreciate that miracles are happening. I appreciate people are coming to salvation, but I can't just stay here because God has sent me to others. Others is the core principle. Others is the core principle of creation itself. Creation speaks about how important others are. God did not create people because he had a need. God has no needs. He is solely self-sufficient. God created people to share himself with them, to share himself with others. That's our kingdom call, to share God with others. The very nature of creation itself speaks of how essential others are in the view of God. Come on, how different would our world be? How different would our lives be? If Paul would have have actually uh, backed away, if if, if Paul would have uh, backed down the first time he got shipwrecked, the first time he got stoned, the first time uh, he got beaten, the first time he got arrested, if he would have backed down, we wouldn't even be here today. Our world, our children, our generation, our futures, our eternities, Thank God this man was arrested by the conviction that his personal pain could not outweigh the conviction of his kingdom call, which is to bring God to others. I mean, Jesus settles this, my friends. This isn't a question. Jesus settles this. Luke chapter 15, he tells three parables, three parables about things that are lost and how he seeks after to find them. One of my favorite ones, one of the most well-known ones, is the first one, Parable of the Lost Sheep. The Bible says Jesus leaves the 99 to go and find the one who was lost, the one who messed up, the one that's undeserving. And the Pharisees are in that crowd. That's who he's talking to in this moment. And they're they're like, oh, Jesus is just a, a friend of sinners and drunkards. And and uh, they, I can't believe he's hanging out with people like them and not like us. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, you, you've got it wrong. I, I'm going to leave all the well-deserving people and find the one who's undeserving, the one who messed up. I'm going to hunt them down. And he says it this way, I believe, because what makes this so much more powerful is when you understand that the Pharisees at that time had a saying in their boys' club. And the saying in their boys' club is, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated by God. They'd be like, ah, I know, I know, but come on, there's going to be such joy in heaven When that one sinner is obliterated by God, it's not going to be us, but it's going to be them. How much joy are we going to have in heaven watching that God obliterate that one sinner? That's what they would say. And Jesus flipped the script on them. He said, the joy in heaven is not when one sinner gets obliterated. The joy in heaven is one who is lost, is found, and all the angels in heaven will rejoice over the one sinner that repents rather than the 99 who think they don't have to. Jesus flips the script on them and says, no, you've got it backwards. Man, God cares about the others God cares about the undeserving uh, the ones that people think are undeserving who aren't like them who who, who are different uh who, who 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 may not be the in crowd God says man I, Jesus says you've got it all wrong my life is about others my kingdom is about others god you heard me say this a while ago God counts by ones God counts by ones God counts by by ones, every one of those sheep is worthy. Every one is worth going after. We can never say they got what they deserved, lest we get what we deserve. We live in a kingdom. We exist. We breathe today because of grace. We, we got up this morning and stood in new mercy, not because we deserved it, because my God is loving towards the one who is you. God counts by ones. I get it. I understand the pain. I know it. I know the pressure of of a pandemic. I know the pressure of, of the pain that can cause us, challenge us to lose our conviction, to keep others in our forefront of our mind. It's okay to have for a moment. It's not okay to have as a mantra. God counts by ones. I was arrested this week by a story I read. In Nigeria, a 13-year-old boy was sentenced for to 10 years in prison as an adult for blaspheming during a fight. He was having a fight with a friend, and he said some words he shouldn't have said and blasphemed. And because of Islamic law, There in that country, they sentenced that boy to 10 years in prison. I was moved because I saw a letter that was written by the director of the Auschwitz-Birkenau Museum, which Jake and I have had the, well, I would say the pleasure, but the privilege. It was a privilege to stand on that ground. But this man, Doctor Peter Sinwinski, wrote a letter to the president of Nigeria, begging him to please rescind this sentence on this thirteen-year-old boy. He talked about how no child. He he talked about having been in a place like that where so many young children had been died, lost their futures, lost their lives. That we cannot we cannot stand any longer for children to lose their futures. And he laid out this case for why the president should pardon this boy. But then what struck me the most is at the end of it, he said, but my excellency, if you find it in your heart or find it not in your, 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 your uh, ability to actually pardon him, I offer this compromise. I offer to find 120 people, including myself, who will all serve one month of the 120 month sentence in the Nigerian prisoned place of this boy, so this boy could be free. That is kingdom. I don't even know if this man knows Jesus. It's kingdom. He was willing to take a place of a boy that was not his, from a culture that was not his, from a country that was not his, in a system that he didn't have the power to change. But what he did have to change, and what he did have the power to change was that one boy's life. That's what Jesus did when he came on the cross, that right there. I was sentenced to death for my transgression. And Jesus took to the Father and said, I know you can't commute the sentence. But I'll go to hell for him. I'll go to hell for him. Let me do his prison time. That's the kingdom. That's the Jesus that saved my life. That's the Jesus that saved your life. And any less than that, being our mantra, our motto, our life motivation is not the kingdom. And we're speaking, the not. we're not speaking our birth language. We are not walking in our reborn kingdom. I get it. Trials hit us on every side. My Jesus left heaven to come to earth to take my place because I was the other sheep that ran away. Undeserving. Gentile. Victim and victimizer. I did it all. All to Jesus, I was singing this all morning. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him, I freely give. That's what I'm going to invite you to today, right here, right now. If you find yourself far from Jesus, far from the heartbeat of God, maybe broken, messed up, maybe you've backslid, and maybe, to be honest, man, you haven't found the, you haven't felt the love of God in your life in a long time. This is what I know. He's running after you. He is running to find the one who is outside the flock right now. The Bible says, I don't need to be good enough. I don't need to deserve it. All I need to do is confess Jesus, turn back to him, just say, here I am, God, I'm sorry. I messed up. I want to be, I want you to be the Lord and savior of my life. And that moment, that language of faith will produce the kingdom of faith in my life. The reality of it right here. Not just when I die right now, if that's you whether for the first time or you just need to come back to a real encounter with Jesus, will you pray with me? Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to give you my life. All that I am. I hold nothing back. I willingly give to you. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. My thoughts, my actions, and my attitudes. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life, to cleanse me and forgive me of my sin, to fill me with your spirit and help me to live for your glory and your kingdom now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, uh, instead of Heaven rejoicing because one sinner got obliterated. Come on, the Bible says heaven is rejoicing right now because one sinner turned around and came back to Jesus. All of heaven is rejoicing. That, my friends, is the good news of the grace of the kingdom of God. That's what we desire. Hey, look, if you pray that prayer with us, we want to send you a book. My, uh, my father-in-law, one of the pastors on our team, Pastor Rick Campana, wrote a book called The Surprise of Your Life. It'll help you understand. It's really short. It'll help you understand what, what just took place in your life and how to to walk this out. Our friend Carson Wentz wrote the beginning of that book as well, the forward to it. You're going to want to get that. You can can send an email to prayer at theconnectchurch.com. Let us know your name, your address. We'll send it out to you. Man, and let us know the story. If you've got a testimony today, let us know the story about what God's doing. You know, my friends, none of this would be possible if we didn't have men and women who are so committed to others that they continue to give. I get it, in this trial, we are all facing financial difficulties, uncertainty, what's the economy gonna do, I get it. But I wanna let you know, man, other people in this house have been giving so that we all can still stay together, still hear the word of God and be encouraged in the midst of it. You know, you don't ever have to worry about uh, God not being able to meet your need. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 10. I love it. It says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed so that you may have an increase of harvest in your life. He who provides seed to the sower. Danielle um, and, uh, uh, and I have been, well, I have been, um, uh, I got some seeds the other day because I love to cook. And uh, i put these seeds in this plant, this good soil, and I've been watering it every day. I've been putting it in the sun. And this basil starting to grow. I love it, man. I love it. But do you know what's cool about that is that uh, I had to put seed in to get something to bless people out. And when, when this basil comes uh, into fruition, into, into fullness, I'm going to be able to put it in the, 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 the gravy I make. I'm going to probably put it in some homemade and gnocchi. Come on, basil. Yeah. Oh, hallelujah. Man, I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm going to make food that others are going to enjoy. And that's what we do when we give. Man, we put seed in the ground that God waters, and it grows. And as it grows, it not only blesses us, but it blesses others. Can I encourage you, my friends, right here, right now, go to Linktree app just give. I know during this time of the year we usually start to talk about our heart for the house offering. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit more about it this week but I want to let you know this year we're not doing a heart for the house offering for our birthday because we recognize the financial trials that everyone is going through. We recognize what, what's, uh, what the, the uncertainty of the world. We recognize that we're still building out our building at the Cherry Hill campus. Man, we're going to celebrate our birthday, and we're going to encourage you to celebrate it with us. But we want to let you know, we're with you in this. But we need to do this together, this thing together. He who provided seed for the sower, bread will provide seed for you and increase as you release it into his kingdom. Well, I can't wait to be with you on Tuesday night. Tuesday night's going to be awesome. we got the chat room is back. The same setup here, Tottenham rooms back. Forged this week, uh, we're continuing to talk about uh, the book of Philippians, how to live that thing out, getting the book, not getting through the book, but getting the book inside of us. Shoulder to shoulder is tonight, uh, ladies, at 7 o'clock. Um, and uh, it's, it's a, a fantastic thing that's going on. But you do need the link to, be, um, uh, to, to hop into it. So to, uh, make sure that you go to the link tree, get on that link, get the link sent to you. So you be a part of of Shoulder to Shoulder. And of course, our birds are flying today, baby. Fly, eagles, fly. Come on, boys. We're we're with you. We love you. We're believing with you. Uh, May the Lord bless them and keep them safe the whole time out there in San Francisco. We're so grateful for what God is doing. Church, we love you. Have a great Sunday, guys. Did you hear Did you hear Danielle, part of the media team today. (laughs) Uh, Hey, kids service is at 12 o'clock. Stay tuned. Church, we love you. I'll see you Tuesday night. God bless you. Keep transforming this world one life at a time.